Good evening. It's good to be with you. What a day it's been. I came over early this morning. It was still dark. I pulled in the parking lot. There's a police car in our parking lot thinking, okay. And there's a fountain of water shooting up almost as tall as our building. And I'm thinking, okay, Houston, we got lots of problems today. And we'll talk about some of that in our announcements. But if you're visiting with us, uh, we had to cancel services this morning because we had no water in the building. But a wonderful team got things back together, and here we are to worship God. And that's just an incredible thing. If you got your Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 4 and chapter 5. In just a moment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin with the end of my sermon, and then we're going to come back to this at the end of my sermon. But in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and in verse 17, the apostle says, Then we who are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. Chapter 5 now, look at verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 10. As it talks about Jesus who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. And within these verses here, the apostle is going to show us what it's like to be together with Jesus. A powerful thing that we need to consider fitting in with our theme this year, that I belong to him and Jesus belongs to me. Our culture today loves to divide us. It separates us in all kinds of distinctions and classifications. Everybody got a category. Male, female, black, white, urban, rural, cat lover, dog lover, iPhone, Android. Millions and millions of different classifications. But when we come to the Bible, there's only two. Either you're in Jesus or you're not. You're either with Jesus or you're not. All those other classifications do not matter. Doesn't matter whether I'm black or white. Doesn't matter whether I'm male or female. Doesn't matter whether I went to college, got a degree, or never got a degree. Doesn't matter whether I live in the country or live in the city. What matters eternally is am I in Jesus or am I not? And in the book of 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 4, and particularly as we slide over to chapter 5, the apostle uses this illustration of day and night. There's a distinction between day and night. And, night. and we understand that concept. We understand daytime people and nighttime people. Daytime people are up very early. By noon, they've got a whole bunch of work done. Daytime people, when it gets to be about 10 o'clock at night, they're ready to call, go to bed. New Year's Eve is hard for daytime people. That because staying up to midnight. They have a hard time doing that. Nighttime people are just the opposite. They're just getting going in the afternoon. And when it's midnight, they say, it's not late, it's only 12 o'clock. And that's the way nighttime people are. One of my kids, when he was in college, called me at 2 in the morning. Said, Dad, and of course, when you get a phone call at 2 in the morning, you think the house is on fire, somebody died. And I said, what's going on? He said, I'm staying with my roommate, and we got a question about the book of Romans. And I'm looking at the clock. The first thing I said is, 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 he, is he a Christian? Yes, he is. I said, call me in the morning. I said, I don't even know where Romans is at 2 in the morning. I let about a week pass by, and I called him at 7.30 in the morning. Hello? I said, the sun's up, the birds are singing, how you doing? You see, daytime and nighttime. But the Apostle Paul in the book of Thessalonians is not talking about the time of day. He's not talking about how late you stay up, how early you get up. 
He's talking about our relationship with Jesus. Now let's grab these verses real quickly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, start, starting with verse 13 and going to chapter 5 and verse 10 or verse 11. He says here, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who fall asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Here's verse 17 now. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything being written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like birth pains upon a woman with a child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you're all sons of light, sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Those who sleep do their sleeping at night. Those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God is not destined us for wrath, but for, sal for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may together be with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are also doing. And so the apostle here is talking about our relationship with Jesus. Notice as he goes through these words here, he would describe the day people as being, you are not darkness, he says. You are sons of the light. You are sons of the day. You are not of the night of darkness. We are of the day. And that's a correlation to Jesus. Jesus is called the light of the world. I am the light of the world, he would say. In Revelation chapter 22, they say you will not need the sun or a light because you got Jesus there. The followers of Jesus are called the light. As we think about that relationship there, that we too are the light of the world, as the Bible says. But when he refers to darkness, he refers to the things that are not right. He refers to those who are not in Christ Jesus. The darkness refers to those who are not following Jesus. John chapter 11, verse 10 would say, But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. He's not talking about physically or visibly. He's talking about spiritually there. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 5, he said, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord's walk as children of the light. In the book of Romans, it says, Let us behave properly as in the day. And what we find in these verses here are a series of contrasts. Day and night is the obvious one. But there's a contrast between expecting Jesus and being surprised when Jesus comes. Surprised because you're not aware. Surprised because you're in the darkness. There's a contrast between soberness and drunkenness. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. There's a contrast between salvation and destruction. And as I mentioned, all of this flows together with our theme this year. That I am his and he is mine. What does it mean to be together with Christ? 
And so when we look at this, we're going to see in these passages, he gives us three steps. Three steps that identify what it means to be in Jesus Christ, to walk with Jesus. And the first thing he tells us is there's an awareness spiritually around us. You're alert. You got your eyes open. You are aware spiritually. Now, again, notice how we began this section in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. They were not uninformed. They were informed. They knew. They could understand. In chapter 5, as it begins, it says, Now as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know. And what we see here is this knowledge has given them a confidence that the day would not overtake him like a thief. And this knowledge of Jesus Christ would cause them to be sober and alert. He said that two times in chapter 5, verse 6, and also verse 8. But let us be alert and sober, but since we are of the day, let us be sober. He's talking about an alertness there. You see, the child of God is informed. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what's coming down the road. He knows that the Lord is coming. He knows that there's going to be a judgment. All these things he knows because he spent time in God's word. The child of God believes. He believes because God has said these things. He believes because he knows these things are right. And then the child of God is ready. That's the emphasis he's making in this chapter. That you're not going to be caught off guard. You're not going to be surprised because you are ready. And the reason why you're ready is because you are alert. And so when he talks about soberness and drunkenness, the subject is not alcohol. The subject here is being alert, being alert spiritually. And so we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, in order that no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. There is an alertness about that. At the end of the parable, Matthew chapter 25, about the wise and foolish virgins, we find this in verse 13. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Be alert. Pay attention. Now, if the Apostle Paul was, was an instructor trying to teach somebody how to drive a car, he'd say, don't turn on the radio. Your hands at 10 and 2. Look at the road. Pay attention. That's what he would say. If he was someone else that would have some avenue of this, if he's the TSA at the airport, he's going to look at you. He's going to see if you're suspicious. If you're walking through that line and says, you know, I used to carry bombs with me. Guess what? You're not getting on that airplane. He's going to say, sir, come with me, and you're going to go away someplace. Being alert. Being alert spiritually is what he's driving at here. Again, we see in the book of Acts, in chapter 20, verse 31, Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one of you. With tears and trembling, it would say. And so we're reminded. You see that lion there? Kind of hard to see him, isn't it? There's a lion in that grass. That lion's looking right at you. And the apostle Peter says, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to save. What does it mean to be together with Christ? It means, number one, we're not naive about the dangers to your soul. How many times have I heard somebody say, I don't see what's wrong with this. 
Well, I, I know why you don't see what's wrong with it. You don't see what's wrong with it because you're not alert. You're not, you're not ready. You're not having spiritual awareness about you. Don't be naive to the dangers to your soul. Don't be blind to the consequences of your actions. All actions have consequences. They go beyond us, to our family, to our church. A lot of people will measure faith in Jesus through what they see in you. A lot of people will look at you and make a determination about this church. I work with you. You are a neighbor of mine. I see how you behave. I see how you interact. I see how honest you are. That must be the kind of church this is. That must be the kind of God you believe in. So your consequences go beyond just yourself. And don't be careless about what you're doing and what you're saying. And this includes on social media. We can say all kinds of things. And those things can get us in trouble oftentimes. And so Satan is trying to get you. Satan is trying to get this church. And so we need to understand taking things seriously. Those of you that are in school, you take your grades seriously. Because if you don't, you're not going to pass. When we go to the doctor, he talks to us about our health. And we take our health seriously. Or else we're going to be seeing them about every day of the week because we're not feeling well. And so there's a seriousness about our soul, seeing how important these things are. But secondly, as we think about this walk with Jesus, together with Jesus, we also need to see that there's an action that takes place through us. There's an action. And again, our passages kind of bring that out and bear that to our mind. He would say in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5 and verse 8, But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on. You see that? You put on your shoes before you came to this building today. You put on your clothes before you came in here. Well, that is an action on your part. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. How this mirrors Ephesians chapter 6 where he says, Put on the full armor of God. How this marries the book of Colossians in chapter 3. And so, he says, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Actions on our part. That's what he's describing. Now, let's take a little detour here. And let's go over to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, I want you to notice some things that take place here as he describes the actions that need to take place. We begin this section by understanding all through this chapter, much like what we're reading in Thessalonians, there is a sense of awareness. The phrase, do you not know, is found multiple times in this chapter. Our section begins this way. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's the setting. That's the background. And while we notice right away, the Apostle Paul lists five types of sexual sins. He begins with fornication, the generic word for all kinds of illicit sexual activity. The very next word he uses is idolatry. But in the city of Corinth, which was really a sewer, 
which is really just something that's wide open, no shame, no embarrassment whatsoever. When these pagans went to worship, it involved sexual activity. There follows adultery, effeminate homosexuality. Now, I've been to Pompeii, and in the ruins of Pompeii, on the street, and I'll say this as delicately as I can, there are certain body parts that are pointing to a certain house. And in that house, still standing after all the destruction, is all kinds of pornography. It was a house of prostitution. And so instead of having street signs, this is 3rd Street and this is 4th Street, there would be those body parts made of stone pointing to that direction. That was Pompeii. Corinth was worse than that. And so in that city, you had all kinds of immorality. The Apostle Paul comes there, and he addresses these things. Now, immediately following these verses are these words. He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of our God. You were this way, but you changed. You are together with Christ. You were justified, which means you are no longer guilty. You are washed, which means you are cleansed or you've been baptized. You are now standing sanctified or set apart. You are one of God's. And that came about. But now in the following verses here, in verse 12 and verse 13, we find something very interesting. And this gets back to our Thessalonian passage about actions. Notice he says here, all things are lawful for me. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be slaved by anything. Two times he quotes this phrase, all things are lawful for me. And I particularly like the ESV because he puts those in quotations. I believe what the Apostle Paul is doing is quoting the people there. Quoting the, the thought of the day. This is what the typical Corinthian would say. Now, I'm in morals that could be. I'm acting like a plain old dog. I have no sense of right and wrong, and I'm just governed by instinct. And what they would have said is, it's legal. It's not against the law what we are doing. It's right. And don't we hear those things today? It is legal. And then he quotes them once again by saying, Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. Sexual activity, he's saying, is just common. It's just like eating. It is natural. And so in doing this, what the apostle is saying is, this is how the man of the street in Corinth thinks about these things. This is how he justifies it. It's not against the law, and it's just natural like eating. There's nothing wrong with these things. And what Paul does is he answers this. He first of all answers this by saying, does it help me spiritually? All things may be lawful, but they're not profitable. All things may be lawful, but they're not helpful. It may not be against the law, but is it getting me closer to heaven? And as our society moves closer and closer to making all drugs legal, we may say, well, it's not against the law, so it's not. But is it going to help me get closer to heaven? That was Paul's argument there. The second thing he would say, does it control me? But I will be enslaved by anything. I will not be enslaved by anything, he says. I will not be mastered by anything. 
Peter would say in 2 Peter chapter 1 that we are to have a sense of self-control about us. Now, when we think about this concept, we think about addictions. And usually when the word addictions come up, there's that standard number we always talk about. We talk about addicted to gambling, drugs, alcohol, pornography. And we can't just overlook those things. Pornography is killing our brethren today. We need to see how serious that is. We need to see how serious drugs are, alcohol, gambling. But sometimes things are not so vice, as we may say, but they can still control us. Let me talk to you a little bit about your phone, our phones. I have this problem, addicted to my phone. And when, I know you may not be able to see all these statistics, but let me just run through a few of them. Down there at the very bottom, on average, Americans look at their phones 262 times a day. 70% of Americans admit to using their phones while on the toilet. That's a thought. 40% look at their phones while driving. In Indiana, that's against the law. 48% consider themselves addicted to their phones. That's almost half of us. 52% say they have never gone longer than 24 hours without their cell phone. Now, it is a phone. It's useful. It has a place. But it can become addicting. Now, kids, what they think about mom and dad on the phone. 54% of children felt like their parents checked their devices too often. You ever asked your kids that? That'd be a good discussion this evening. Do you think mom and dad look at their phone too often? Let them answer honestly. 32% of kids felt unimportant when their parents get distracted by their phones. 52% of parents agreed that they checked their phone and devices too frequently. 28% felt like they used the devices as not setting a good example to their children. Now, look at this statistic. Now, I first of all question the statistic because what it's about is two columns. What would you give up as the blue side, and would you give up those things for the Internet? And the very first column says chocolate. 87% now, that, that, that has to be bogus. 87% would give up chocolate over the internet. But I want you to notice two things here. 40.5%, 40.5, 4 out of 10 people would give up one eye rather than the internet. 30% would lose a finger rather than give up the internet. Now, is it wrong to use your phone? No. Is it wrong to use it often? No. But Paul said, I will be mastered by nothing. Even something that's legal, even something that's right. Is it affecting our families? Is it affecting our homes? How often do I see people out to eat, mom, dad, and two kids, and all four of them are at the phone, not talking to each other? And is it any wonder that in our society today, so many people feel more lonely than they've ever felt before? So many people have such a difficulty talking face-to-face -to, -face to somebody. And could it be these are the things? Now, the third thing Paul says in this Corinthians passage we need to notice, first of all, does it help me spiritually? Does it control me? And then number three, does it honor the Lord? He would say that the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. 
Are we honoring Jesus with what we're doing? And so all of this, again, is a reflection of this idea that an action takes place through them. Now, when you go back to our, our Thessalonian passage, notice some of these action statements here. We begin with the very end of chapter 4, verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That's an action statement. Chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another. Build up one another. That's an action statement. Chapter 5, verse 14. We, had ur we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. Chapter 5, verse 16, rejoice. Verse 17, to pray without ceasing. Verse 18, to be thankful in all times. What does it mean to be together with Jesus? It means an action takes place through us. An action that's going to lead us closer to heaven. An action that's spiritually, an action that's right with God. And then the third step is there's an anticipation within us. And again, this comes out through this Thessalonian passage. He would say in verse 9, verse 10 of chapter 5, For God is not destined us for wrath, but for attaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. The point through all that is he's trying to emphasize that God wants you to be saved. There is an anticipation here. And so what we see when we go back and look at this big picture between the day and the night, what Paul's describing here is the day folks are informed. They're knowledgeable. They're not shocked that Jesus is coming. They're not shocked that there's a lifestyle that God expects them to live. They are hopeful. They are someone who's careful. And they're someone who is helpful. Now, in contrast to this, we see that the daytime people are expecting and the nighttime people are going to be surprised. There's a day coming. There's a day coming. The book of Revelation ends with this prayer, Come, Lord Jesus. Daytime people can pray that. We can go to bed tonight saying, Lord, come. Come. I got lots of things I'm doing this week. Got a lot of plans in my life, but Lord, come. Nighttime people don't believe that. Nighttime people are going to be surprised. Daytime people are sober. They're alert. But the nighttime people, they're clueless. They're clueless that their actions are taking them away from God and the hope that God has. And the daytime people are saved. But the nighttime people... They're lost. They're lost because they don't have that hope in Jesus Christ. Together with Christ. It means that you have an awareness about you spiritually. You realize that we're walking through enemy territory. You realize that Satan has got his eyes on you. He's looking to get you, and you are aware of that. It means that God expects you to have some actions that's going to be heaven sent. It's going to be directed toward heaven. And that there's an anticipation. There's a great day coming, we sing. And that day comes when Jesus is actually here. I am his, and he is mine. Let's end by reading something here. This is from one of my favorite writers. His name is Bob Moorhead. And he calls this little section, The Church's Declaration to Satan. He says, Satan, listen up. Listen now. Listen long, listen hard, and listen well. We are the church of the living God. We bought with blood, charged with power, married to Jesus, and dwelt with his spirit, immune from destruction and destined for victory. We won't fear your foolish fables. Run from your roaring lion call. Fold under your fire. 
Be vulnerable to your venomance. Be scattered by your schemes. Derailed by your deceptions. Lured away by your lies. Buckle under by your barking or be scared by your subtle ways. We're the company of the committed, the crown of the covenant, the congregation of the courageous, and the crew of the commissioned. We're the fellowship of the faithful, the battalion of believers, the regiment of the redeemed, the division of the devoted of the army of the approved. We are the people of God. We're not here to dread the war, plan the war, study the war, evaluate the war, or even discuss the war. We came to win the war. Satan, the clock is running out for you. We wait for our redemption, but for your rupture. Our consummation, but your condemnation. Our reign, but your ruin. Our victory and our vindication. Our success and your sorrow. You can summon all your hosts, but we'll never lose the battle. For he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. We're the church of the living God. Blood washed, spirit filled, battle scarred, unrelenting and indestructible. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. I am his and he is mine. Together with Jesus. What a powerful thought that is. And I hope through this lesson it's given you some thoughts of what it means to be with Jesus. We want to be with Jesus in heaven. But it begins by being with Jesus on earth. It begins by your choices and your decisions. Realizing that you have to be aware of what the world is around you. You have to have your eyes open to all the trouble. God is expecting things of you. And within our hearts is a great day coming. And we can't wait for that day. We're so glad to have each of you with us today. This, this evening, if one of us is ready to be baptized, now's the time to do that. If one of you wants to talk about these things, we'll be happy to discuss these things with you. But to see that the people of God started with a small mustard seed has grown to the mighty kingdom of God that's worldwide, that's ageless, that's indestructible. That's you and that's me. Let us understand with God with us what a difference we have. We can conquer the world because of Jesus. If you're subject in any way, won't you come as we stand, as we sing?